Hello and welcome to episode 141 of the 1099 for the week of April 2nd, 2018. I'm your host, Josiah Renauden, and with me today is a freelancer for PC Gamer, Waypoint, Playboy, Polygon, IGN, and most recently, Rolling Stone for GDC, Joe Noop. Joe, I was going to say, how are you doing today? We've been talking for like an hour before this, but what's going on? <laughs> it's good. You know, if... if uh if you had asked someone who like saw my badge at GDC, they, they screwed it up. It said rollingstones.com. And I'm oh, like, perfect. oh, no. I love it. It's like that's right, guys. I'm with the band. Rolling Stone. Yeah. That's like, it's like giantbomb.ru where it's like, wait a minute, what? Oh, God, it's, the, it's the deep state <laughs> conspiracy all over again. How did they get that wrong? I, I don't know. Like, oh, it's uh, like, oh, you mean uh, just the PR person? I, I know her. I've known her for years. And I think she, you know, she's probably filled out a friggin' thousand of those things, uh, the little yeah. RFID badges. Uh, and I, cause I wasn't the only Rolling Stone person there. And I saw one other guy with a perfectly fine, you know, Rolling Stone slash Glixel thing. Uh, I think she just kind of, you know, wasn't paying attention, but I, I didn't want to go back and be like, you know, you fix this right now. Yeah. You don't want to <sighs> be that asshole. But like, did you mostly go when you were like introducing yourself or going to certain appointments? Did you say Glixel? Or did you say Rolling Stone? Yeah. The way I've kind of been trained to say it and the way it seems socially acceptable is like Rolling Stones video game uh, vertical Glixel. Uh, but I, I, I kind of lead with Rolling Stone because that's what like uh, one, of course, catches people's attention yeah. to solidifies like, hey, I'm not some dope from like video games are awesome dot com. For, that'd be dot like XXX or something dot, like that, because no way you're getting the dot, dot com, com for that one. Know. No, I, I, I remember um. When I would just talk to people outside of games in general and they asked me what I did, I used to use this on dates where people would be like, oh, what do you do? And I would, instead of saying GameSpot, I'd be like, oh, I write for CBS. Write for CBS. Like, you I can't help it. Like, it's the easiest yes. way to do it. Where like, yes, sure, not really. It's CBS I and like, some, like my checks come from that. But come on, it's GameSpot. But it's really mm. weird to be like... When you say I write for GameSpot, the, it's you go down a rabbit hole when you're answering follow-up questions. Like, oh, like what do you do? And you're like, I review video games like this Japanese game where you punch the clothes <laughs> off of women. There's and this girl with like very little clothing. It's awesome. I swear. Yeah, like that was actually a real game I reviewed. I forgot what it's called, but it's awful. I walked by the, I guess it's the CBS I building and not just mm -hmm. the CBS building, but uh, that's where, for those who don't know, that's where uh, Giant Bomb and GameSpot uh, are based, at least in, on that West Coast. And uh, I, I walking by, I'm like, yep, there's the old CBS building, not not saying like GameSpot or, or uh, Giant Bomb, just like there's so the old CBS building. Like, I, I don't know. I, I If I was still writing for them, I think I would still do that. Like, I can't help myself. If you're talking industry people, like, everyone knows what GameSpot is. But you, you yeah. sound so impressive when you say CBS. Yeah. Like, there's yeah. so many times I've done that where it's like, what sounds cooler? My grandma still doesn't know I've written for Playboy. I should probably <laughs> go should to her leave with that. Yeah. Like, I would it'd be like, I'm, yeah, I'm on the front cover of Playboy. That's what I would just go with every single time. <laughs> um, you do have a bunch of GDC stories to tell. But like I just mentioned, you wrote for Rolling Stone and Glixel for this <laughs> entire conference. So how did that actually come together because I feel like a lot of people who even if they're not just starting out with freelancing they've already been paid by a few people the question of how the hell do I get paid to go to a conference comes up a lot because everyone wants to go the the opportunities the contacts you get there are invaluable but if you don't live in California with GDC or E3 the the costs are massive unless you're getting some sort of significant return so this is not your first GDC this is not your first rodeo yeah, but how did the Rolling Stone I'm pretty sure it's not even my first time talking about the GDC on the 10 I think we did one a while ago where yeah. you had like it more spread out so what was it like working for one outlet this time um I, well, I, I did do a few other things for other outlets, but not nearly okay. as spread out as, as past years. So, yeah, the, the Rolling Stone couple of assignments there were the big ones. Um, uh, it's important to mention that this is my fourth GDC. I went uh, during my last semester of college back in 2015. Uh, and that was for, uh, the, the college website I had co-founded with a friend and built up over a while. When it comes to like landing work for an event like that, uh, I feel like GDC is a lot easier because it's, it's a lot less insular of an event. Um, E3 is like, Hey, who do you, who does this editor trust to go preview Wolfenstein or something like that or a smaller game, and uh, that's that's very hard to bust into um, if you don't already have pretty established contacts. 
uh, my first uh, post-college GDC, I got my badges from uh, play first year. Well, the second year was Playboy, and then the year after that was Polygon that I was writing for, uh, and I pretty much just looked at the panel content that they had like you know hey here's a list of every speaker and what they're talking about and i was like you know what are the more interesting ones here like what topics are being addressed that haven't been written about on our side of things yet and uh, uh pitching those as possible stories to my editors who said yeah sure that sounds cool and then i'm like hey do you want to you know do me a solid and tell this pr person from the the organizers of gdc to like you know you you're uh can we get this guy a badge? And thankfully, over time, I've kind of learned enough about the way everything works that now I can just uh, I'm in a position where I can just email that same PR person and be like, hey, Ramona, uh, I am coming to GDC, probably writing uh, a bit for Rolling Stone, maybe a little bit for PC Gamer. Uh, can I get a badge? And she's like, yeah, sure. She knows I'm reliable. She knows I produce yeah. stuff uh so that she's not wasting her money and when she you know makes her report uh i she doesn't look like a clown for giving some schmuck uh two thousand dollars worth of a badge to skip the whole saga of glixel uh which i am not one privy to a lot of information about because i i hadn't worked for them a lot uh and was was this your first time working for them or had you written something for them before in any form really yeah uh I, I did not do it before the uh, weird shuttering slash reopening that happened. Um, as far as I'm aware, Brian Crescente is still the only like major face behind them. Um, he is I'm, right now, yeah. Because yeah, like right I had now. talked to John Davison. Uh, yeah, it was John like Davison. a year, less than a year into Glixel, and then of course I talked to Brian Crescente after he took over Glixel. So like, you know, I know pieces and parts of what he could tell me, but it is a. It's a weird saga. Weird saga. So to skip all that, because I don't know how interesting that would actually get. I, Crescente, you know, uh, does a call out on Twitter saying like, hey, I'm looking for uh, people to cover a lot of different stuff. And uh, thankfully, I, I, you know, it's been three plus years now of having done this where I have a credible portfolio built up that I say like, hey – here's some stuff I've written. Here's some exact examples of like what exactly like panel coverage that you're looking for or, or interviews or game previews, what have you. What do you can say? Like, like what's what? your, do you have a, is it your, your waypoint story that you normally I, lead with in terms of like, here's the main thing that one? Yes. My, my Obamacare piece, which is still kind of the de facto like mantelpiece uh, story that still like gets a little bit of talk about it. Um, but uh if it's if it's coming down to something like GDC, I uh, I say like, hey, here's some of the biggest features I've written. One of which this this uh, this Obamacare piece originated from talking to developers. Uh, here's this piece about elderly gamers that originated from a panel I attended at GDC 2016 or whatever, uh, and showing them like. Look, I I can go in there and turn almost anything into a story. Uh, I went from I went from having to pitch a lot of stuff to being able to say like, "Hey, here's proof I can do this," and repeatedly, and they you know in a sense can trust me then uh, and say, "Okay, cool. Um, I would really love it if you would cover X, Y, and Z." And I'm like, "I got it. I can totally do that, and I can still totally turn it into something unique that still feels like something I would only I would have thought of, you know, or or at least that like only a few people would have thought of instead of super generic coverage, you know." Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's it's a little mishmash of everything, and it doesn't work that way for everybody, you know. I I have plenty of friends who. Um, uh, they did new more news stuff throughout the week, which is like, hey, uh, an announcement was made at GDC, and I'm just in the press room, you know, uh, busting it out. But you know, it, it generally follows a line of uh, stick your neck out there enough times, and eventually you don't have to worry about it ever getting cut because you've built up clout and reputation and trust. Building up clout is one of the harder things to like. I, I say that too much in this podcast. Where I'm like, oh, like keep working up the ladder and you'll get there. And then yeah. once people email me and be like, okay, cool, I appreciate it, but how do I actually do this shit for you? When was the first time where you were able to go from attending GDC representing that website from college that you mentioned to actually being able to get paid 
for the different stuff you wrote from larger outlets. Like, what was your email that eventually got you someone like PC Gamer, someone like Polygon, someone like, let's say, again, Glixel, where they were like, okay, even if you're at smaller sites, your work is quality. We will now trust you to go to this event and help you know pay for these different articles. I think the first legit GDC piece I must have written was, oh, you know, it was, uh, it was Playboy. Uh, I went to i went to the gdc play area uh and actually this was my this was my first uh gdc so i was still technically with my college but i kind of waited to write the story a little bit i played a norwegian horror game called through the woods the studio (laughs) an antagonist studio doesn't exist anymore but uh a norwegian horror game set in norway with like nordic creatures that you know kind of are are chasing you through a, a scary forest uh, and I interviewed them about like, you know, pull, they were, they were all Nordic, you know, guys, uh, how did they pull from their culture, uh, to make this fairly unique experience. And, uh, that was my first playboy piece ever, I think. And so it became this exercise of, uh, you, you see something interesting on the show floor. Maybe you didn't, didn't intend or know about it prior, but you're like, okay, this is interesting. Let me play it. Maybe some of the developers are hanging around uh, and I can turn that into a piece with quotes uh, or I, I never write anything prior to uh, successfully pitching it. I don't think yeah. I've done that once, thankfully, in my career, um, unless it was like a passion piece where I'm like, I'm just going to put this out as a blog post. You kind of have an idea of what you're going to cover, what's worth covering. There's a schedule of different things that says like, all right, here's who's talking. Here's the different panelists. And a lot of this stuff you're planning in advance, especially I remember E3. If I was planning an interview or uh, let's say Paxi's, the first Paxi's I went to, I got a chance to interview Greg Kasavin and that was something that was planned well in advance. With mm-hmm. this Rolling Stone opportunity, what was the conversation like with Brian where you're saying, here's what I think is worth <laughs> worth covering and here's what he thinks is worth covering? Because he's, of course, the, he, you know, it's all about ROI. So for him, he has to think about like, I need to cover things that have value in terms of actual content value, but also it brings in the traffic. So what was that like? Uh, it, it's, it's interesting you use the word conversation because uh, the the sad bit about Glixel and and no no slack against Crescente. That man is a workhorse and a half. Uh, he clearly had minimal time to organize a lot of stuff. Uh, that call out for writers came like maybe three or four weeks, maybe maybe even more prior to GDC. Uh, the actual assignments happened maybe like four days prior to oh, GDC boy. happening. And so and so that usually doesn't happen. That's a that's a weird case. And I talked with a a few other writers about that who who weren't like jazzed about it but understood uh it's very hard for one man uh and god only knows if he's i I can only imagine he's the only person kind of heading that up and that every other person at rolling stone is you know busy elsewhere yeah uh the conversation was kind of i he would he had a list of like panels and some subjects and some like games to preview or like a id at xbox you know like where they have uh you know 20 games kind of set up in a in a bar and you play and that's that's a, a press exclusive kind of thing um as far as so I, I wrote a a article about the one reason the b panel which we can talk about later but the conversation about that was more or less hey uh i noticed this was on your list brian uh of things you were interested in covering um I think let, give give that one to me because I think I one I know the host very well Rami Ishmael um, mm-hmm. I've interviewed him before I've spoken with him before former think, the ten ninety nine guest so you know really royalty yeah, at this point good good guy good guy <laughs> he's uh, a great dude also had a friggin incredible speech at the uh, GDC awards uh, if you haven't seen that yet I don't know if they've they've I'm sure they've posted video it should be uh, he's one of those people that like makes me jealous in in a positive way when I hear him talk because he's like he's not 19 years old but I swear to god that dude's like way younger than you'd think and he, is he's already well he, he's, he's edging up on 30 maybe I think. yeah he's like not quite 30 and he's the way late 20s the gravity this. he has with his message and what he does and the travel he does and everything I remember talking to him on here the, and being the like, outreach and work that he does it's incredible I, I, I said this on Twitter like they'll when they write the modern the new modern like video game industry history book 
he'll have his own chapter, but he'll probably just give it to someone else so they can further their own dreams. That's him. And that's like, that's who that guy is. You he's know? awesome. Uh, also, seeing Tim Schafer drunk cry was very beautiful. But oh, I missed this. Uh, at the GDC Awards, he 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 downed like four tequila shots uh, prior to getting up for his uh, lifetime achievement speech, and it was beautiful. It was so beautiful. I need to go uh, to another conference. It's been yeah. so long. So, yeah. like the the conversation with Brian um, really amounted to, "Hey, look, I can prove, uh, or at least sound confident that like." I know this guy. I know the topics he's passionate about. Um, I've generally written about this general topic before, like cultural diversity in gaming, uh, you know, demographic issues in gaming. Uh, it's not it's not foreign to me, and yes. and uh, I feel pretty confident about like I feel like my article was relatively unique compared to maybe the more generic takes on it or just the the people who like wrote and then this guy said this yeah a lot of the times you just get full written summaries of what happened which at this point now i'm not the one who's saying like down with writing but the more that these are available on youtube you kind of have that moment of like sure if you don't add your spin to it where's the real value exactly yeah so that that's kind of how that conversation played out and that is a valuable lesson for any writer to to know going in is if you're presented with a few opportunities or like you know uh a, a uh, editor gives you a list of possible opportunities. Uh, just just commit to saying like, this is why I'm the guy you want on this. That's what pitching is about, you know, is saying, here's my idea or here's my take on your idea. Here's why I'm the right guy for it. And uh, here's all the proof I have. Yeah. And you need a lot of that proof. And the proof is difficult. Again, you can show someone a lot of your good writing that is on a site they haven't heard of. And some editors will not take it as seriously if it doesn't have the certain name at the top but mm. it, it is building at i think playboy is a good example and paste magazine is that's the, those are the kind of places that they will find value in your writing even if it's not at this major site and then you can kind of use those again parlay that into something else did you get a chance to maybe if he did have this list of like here's kind of what i have in mind for covering but let's say on a, a wednesday you find this really interesting panel that you didn't really consider before or even this really interesting conversation you didn't consider before did you pitch any ideas where you're like i just came back from this would you want a story on that not to um not to rolling stone but uh i weirdly enough i i had a appointment to play the new dying light bad blood uh expansion which is kind of a bad it's PUBG with zombies you know it's it's battle royale except it's like six players uh all fighting to be like the last survivor who makes it to the helicopter to get the heck out of dodge also, funny side story, they had like six so- massive signs up for it in the Moscone con- uh, Convention Center. You know, Dying Light, Bad Blood, Booth 1401. Uh, but you could only get in the play if you were uh, – if you had an appointment. And it's like, why did you put up signs in the first place? Yeah, Jesus. Uh, I hate that. But uh, I I played that. Uh, and sometimes I'll do that at conventions. Like I will take appointments not necessarily knowing – whether or not I'll get work for it. It's a it's a it's a, a different call for everybody, you know, if you if you feel more comfortable knowing every single thing is gonna have a home, do it that way. That's a perfectly valid way to do it. I play the game, I enjoy it, I have thoughts on it. Uh I did talk to the developers a little bit, and I ran into Evan Lottie in uh, West Finland of PC Gamer in the press room. And, you know, I've I've written for them numerous times before. I've uh uh, got a pretty solid relationship with them. And I'm like, Hey, did you guys do anything about dying light, bad blood yet? And they're like, Oh no, we didn't, we never even got emails about that. Like they knew it was there, but they were just kind of like back, back burner, uh, thing compared to whatever else they were focusing on those first few days. I'm like, do you want a piece? And they're like, yeah, sure. Go for it. Cause they know me. And that's, that's kind of the dream, right? Is yeah. being able to have an experience or like stumble into an experience and be like, Hey, I need to tell the world about this. Uh, you know, here here's a couple of bullet points about why I feel so strongly about it. Either way, uh, but do you trust? Do you, Mister Editor, trust me to uh, uh, to have a good take on it? And thankfully, I've built up enough of a relationship that that happened, and it's it's in their hands now. I'm waiting for it to get posted. 
Yeah, and I have questions and comments about the press room for a little bit later because I think that's a fascinating thing that I've experienced. Good muffins. In fact, yeah, <laughs> fantastic muffins. It's the real actual purpose of that. But uh, you talk about how you have, you, you did work for Glexel, you did stuff for PC Gamer. There was a couple multiple, there were multiple outlets you were working for here. Just being honest, and I know you will be, and I think a lot of this podcast is being honest about freelancing, which is important for people who want to get into it. Um, was GDC financially worth it for you because you had to travel you think about the travel cost to california you think about hotels or airbnb however you're doing this the food there of course is expensive and it's again you want there's this invaluable nature to the contacts you can build up or the cachet you build as someone who's been there and who's covered it but do you feel like both financially and experience wise this trip was worth it for someone like you who already does have this reputation built up where you can write for multiple outlets. So I think it's important to acknowledge that a level of privilege does play into this very, very heavily. Um, I am a middle-class white kid from Chicago. Uh, I am given opportunities that not a lot of other people have. And in fact, this actually ties into the Rolling Stone piece I wrote. Uh, For those of you who haven't written, uh, Reddit. Also, what are you doing with your life? Uh, how dare you? Uh, love me. I The panel I covered, One Reason to Be, is essentially about um, – it, it first started off with uh, women in game development and them sharing their experiences being discriminated against and what it's kind of done to the culture of women, of women in games. Uh, but – it's evolved to encompass a lot of different uh, demographics, and this year it was kind of a, a mishmash of like, here's the the first game developer from Madagascar, here's one from uh, various Arabic countries, and uh, Rami Ishmael, go figure, had a brilliant monologue to start off uh, the panel with as the host, saying, um, take a look at this map, and it was uh, a map that you could vaguely tell was the... A vague outline of the major continents, but uh, filled up with red uh, little dots. And it was a depiction of the map that was sitting at the base of the show floor uh, as you came into uh, Moscone North. Uh, one one of the two major halls there. They had like a ten foot tall map of the globe, and uh, they would give out red stickers to every developer who walked down, saying like, "Hey, put a sticker uh, on the location of where you come from." And of course, you have most of America. You have uh, Fairbend, Canada. You have uh, a little bit in South America. You have plenty in Europe, and you have plenty in China and Japan. Uh, and the little like. Uh, title of the map above it was uh the the video game industry around the globe yeah and it's kind of this like rah rah aren't we so great you know such a global you know worldly thing coming together once a year rami ishmael rightfully said that's bullshit that yeah. is horse shit uh this is a map of people who can who can afford to come to gdc uh and that means economically and politically and socially and security. Uh, and so to tie that into uh, the journalism side of things, a level of privilege plays into going to any event as a freelancer. It is not profitable for a lot of people. I would say for a majority of freelancers, even those such as myself who have a little bit of like established clout, and uh, especially the the ones who are like I I'm, I'm nowhere near the top of like you know quote unquote established freelancers. There are a lot of people who could smoke me any day of the week, uh, but for those folks, uh, it's still a very fine line to walk. And you know they're lucky if they can get a few meals comped or like travel comped. Uh, you know some friends from Gama Sutra had hotels comped and you know nice like Marriott hotels, yeah. uh, but. Still, one has to wonder, like, for the work that they might have given up at a day job back home or something like that, how does – when rent comes due, how does that come down? Especially for when you're buying food and, and entertainment in San Francisco, God only knows. Um, I I would say most freelancers, including myself, very often treated as a uh, a – expense that feels necessary to further the career um that's not to encourage an environment of like 
flagellating yourself for you know career advancement you don't want to destroy your monetary and personal and emotional value just to get a little bit ahead of someone else but uh i i generally have always looked at it as hey here's a place where i can get a wealth of uh stories that will last me a good while and I will be able to be in the same room as editors I either admire or have worked with prior and make sure that they remember who I am as a person. So when it comes time for assignments to be handed out or jobs to be handed out, I am the guy that they're like, you know what? That guy seemed pretty cool. I think I'd like working with him or I think he's, you know, worth trusting. Uh, it, it's generally framed in that context. This is the type of shit I have such mixed thoughts about where you mentioned before this culture of you're almost paying money to just have an opportunity to maybe exactly. get a seat at the table yeah which is uh i think when you think about you don't want to encourage that culture you think about crunch where if someone's staying mm -hmm. there for the weekend you feel the pressure to do that and again as someone who's about to get into game development it's something i'm going to have to mentally deal with like is that something that i'm going to have to go through that i haven't really gone through before i've talked to enough developers to know shit like that happens when the game needs to ship and in this same sort of kind of media culture when you're trying to break through i did the same thing where i we talked about this before we started recording where i knew this is what i want to do for so long so i saved and i saved and i worked and i worked and i worked and i went to e3 and i lost money doing it i went to pax and i lost money doing it mm -hmm. because i knew that's what it was going to take and then you have this you take a step back and you think should it be that way and am i only encouraging that mentality by doing this but then if you don't do that you're going to be left out. So it's it's a hard thing to do because I hate for people to listen to this and think I need to take PTO or in some cases, if you don't get PTO, I need to just take off of work and take a vacation. But it's, it's a work vacation. I'm going to be working more than yeah, I normally it, would at this I, place I, where I shudder at the word like vacation this because I'm going to bed at like 2 a.m. every night. That's if, if I'm lucky. And that's the thing. Yeah. And like that's the thing that it's hard for me to encourage that. But. I also sit here saying I know what worked for me and that's what what worked for me. Is there are there are ways to and, do and, it and without it doing that? And it for us because there's a level of we we both have uh, a level of privilege. I would say maybe I I might have more than you. I think I might have come from a more comfortable background than you. But uh, we both were presented with opportunities that don't immediately present themselves to everyone, and yeah. we were at least smart enough to exploit them but also allow ourselves to get exploited and in in a very perverse sense that feels wrong to encourage that but i've i've made my grave with it it's yeah because like like you said i i would not consider myself like the lowest of the totem pole there's definitely people who had it way harder than me like i was still trailer park josiah who had to make sure like he was working at 16 so by the time he was like 18 or 19 i could support a trip like that so I had had to set myself up for that situation, but there's people who are, you know, I, I'm still privileged and I do understand that. So like, mm -hmm. it, it, it's, it's a weird thing for me to try to encourage that. But I, sometimes you can only talk about your own experiences and what worked for you. And you're the same way. We're like, that's sometimes what it takes. What were the deadlines like? You mentioned staying up until two and before you had said the PC gamer thing still isn't up. So that might take some time, but did you, yeah. did you feel pressure to immediately go to the press room and write stuff or oh, yeah, even skip parties to go to a hotel and write. <laughs> oh yeah. That's uh depending on like how your workload goes, that can feel very intense. I uh, personally to, to open up a little bit, I have always struggled with uh, focus in my work. Mm -hmm. um, I've, I've developed a few tricks along the way to kind of help me keep my eyes on the prize and, you know, just bust that something out. But uh the Glixel pieces in particular, the the spoken agreement there was you will go to this and you will produce something as soon as possible. Uh, I – on Thursday nights, that Thursday at 4 o'clock was when that One Reason to Be panel with Rami Ishmael and the uh, you know international developers happened. That went to 5 o'clock. It was an hour-long panel. I went back to the press room until it closed uh, an hour after that at like 6 and then – I bought expensive pizza at the food court uh, down the street, got a lift home uh, to my Airbnb, and sat there until about 
nine thirty or ten o'clock, uh, uh, figuring out my way through a story that I wanted. One, I wanted to you know make sure it felt unique, felt worthwhile, uh, didn't feel like a rehash, uh, but also you know was written well, which you know I, I had to sit there a few times and like be like, okay, I'm gonna reread this. Does this sound dumb? Does this sound like a coherent sentence? Does this sound like something? You know, I would say that's when deadlines suck, when you wish you could actually spend time to find the message you want. Yeah, that's that's always been and especially because so much of my stuff is features writing as opposed to like very straightforward uh, uh, preview writing like, hey, I played this game as cool, I guess. Uh, It does take time. And that's why I've found a niche just like going to panels, interviewing the people and I ideally having already pitched the angle to an editor and like knowing like I'm definitely getting work out of this. I need to focus on this. Uh, but then those stories will be seen at a later date, you know, yeah. um, when it's something like a, a quick turnaround like that, you will have to force yourself to sit down in that loud ass press room um, where some people are goofing off. Some people are like head down, you know, nose to the grindstone mode. Uh, there's lots of visual distractions, lots of audio distractions and just get it done. Uh, I, I did, I did bust out another panel like within an hour and a half of having finished, uh, or of, of the panel being finished. So I felt pretty good about that one, but that was a much more straightforward, like, you know, here's how we did a cool thing in a video game kind of panel. Yeah. It's just, it's weird because you have a certain setup in your home office or wherever you write that you get used to and you have an idea of this is how I write. And maybe you work ahead. It takes you a while. Deadlines happen. When conferences happen, you have to write differently. And sometimes that changes how you write and you have to understand how to work under that pressure. This I is, uh, I hated writing at the tables in the press Oh, room. it's the worst. They're, they're too fucking hate it. They're too, like, they, and, they, and they have a stupid little black. It's different for every place. But that's sure, all it like, takes. Is All it takes is like, oh, this is too high. And this you're is too high. Off. It's done. Like, I'm it's, done. It's not even the people talking in the background. You have to add that to I'm it. Going and again, home. you're... You're rushing these ideas, and I know uh, 1099 Spirit Animal Nick Capazzoli has talked about how, <laughs> like, when he's writing reviews, he takes his time with it, and he has his own like blog now. But when he was like writing for Gamespot, sometimes he would take a little bit longer because these things sometimes take time, and the longer you let it, and they're going to exist forever, you know. Yes, might as well nail it. There's multiple times where I wish I had more time to play a game because like my thoughts really matured. <laughs> afterward for a review and i've had that happen multiple times and and that happens at these moments and in a way in a way it it feels detrimental as a writer sometimes to be in that position where like i know i need to bust something out super fast because my editor knows i need to bust something they they need to bust it out pretty fast because that's the name of the game you know the the first dog to the race gets the the clicks to use a, a completely imaginary metaphor that definitely has never existed to to illustrate to illustrate that point though uh, I got very little to no feedback on either pieces. I still like submitted them feeling pretty good, not like feeling like super shitty about them, but it feels weird whenever I get like little to no feedback. Cause it's like, Oh, there's no way I could have like nailed that, you know? Yeah. Uh, but that's yeah, the nature that the editor, that's the pressure the editor is under is they got to get it up fast too. And as long as it like makes sense, isn't like saying something false, isn't saying something like pointlessly inflammatory, uh, you know, sure. That sounds pretty good. Good job. Put it up onto the next thing. Yeah. And, uh, you got to make sure you took notes during whatever panel or like yep. you recorded things because yep. that person, your editor was not there. And you exactly. need this up in, let's say, a couple of hours. And you can't throw in a wrong quote. They're going to trust you. And if you misquoted someone like very badly, that's bad. I know um, I, like the idea of getting out of your comfort zone with writing is one of those things that maybe you briefly think about. But once you get there, it can change everything. With all of these podcasts, here's my – it's been a while since I've been to a conference, but I can relate this to my current full-time job. Um, I do all of these podcasts. In my apartment, like where I can look at notes if I forget anything or how I'm not close is at Bella someone. to you right now? She's like, right behind like, me just licking, licking her foot her, and it's like, annoying the fuck out of me. Oh, my God. It's so bad. And like I, you have a certain comfort level. And I went to um, for the tech company I work with. We do live interviews at conferences and they wanted me to start doing them because they knew they, they, they know I had interview experience. <laughs> hey, you um, do them their podcast, right? 
it made like I had to talk to three different people about stuff I just flatly do not have a good grasp of. It's like, hey, talk about software methodologies with an expert in this. You're like, cool. And I remember being in this moment of like, they told me like, at first I was like, I don't know if I can do this. Like, we really, really need you to do this. And just having to adjust in that moment to something where I've never done it before. And I remember at conferences, writing was similar in that. Where like th- that type of deadline in that foreign innovative environment was terrifying. And it just changes how you write. So it is something that for people who do go to a conference for the first time, one, expect that. But two, it's okay if you freak out for a bit because it is it is a difference. It's it's a jarring thing at the start that you do eventually have to get used to. And I think it makes you a better writer when you can adapt to those different situations. And you did mention the press room being one of those situations where there are clicks that immediately formed, where they're like certain groups all the way over that like all these people who already knew each other. And then did anyone? It was like one of those gonna, things where I'm gonna blow my um, mic because I'm laughing so hard and I'm looking at the audio going this way. Well, like you think about like okay, junior high dance boys on one side, girls on the other. There's more like. Uh, Eight different clicks of just people who never communicated. You get a lot of. Um, I'm I'm always tickled by uh, who who is sitting with who. Um, yeah, you know, if you work at the same publication, uh, you'll tend to see those people sitting around, you know, making their in jokes or. It's always funny seeing like what kind of personalities get drawn to those places too. I I. Oh, some kids, literal kids sitting across from me, like bless their hearts. They must've been like 19 or 20. Uh, they were goofing off about something. Cause like they were, they must've been like waiting for a video to upload, I think. Cause they, they were doing stuff, but it's like, get out of my zone. Cause I'm in like vacation dad mode. Uh, yep. you know, like I, I need to bust this out and like be a grumpy old man for like 30 minutes before I can go party at a bar, you know, and, and let my soul loose. You also had, uh, people like apparently Unilad showed up. I, my dying light demo was with a bunch of guys from Unilad, which is kind of like a, mm. as far as I understand it, like a very bro website. That's what I thought. Uh, GDC does not seem like the place for them. Yeah. I don't know. Like what maybe E3 doing. could get away with something. Sure. But like GDC, you think of like talks and like serious developer discussions and even people yeah. like interviewing people for jobs there. Uh, so, so yeah. And I always enjoy like sitting with a mix of people and, and, I, I never feel like a black sheep, but uh, it's always kind of interesting, like reacclimating to every person in real life because their their internet personality or their email personality is a little different than their real life personality. Talking with Brian in real life, uh, Brian Crescente in real life for the first time uh, was about as stock standard as you might expect of a, of an editor who is very busy. Like, oh hey, how you doing? Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, no, great job, man. Yeah, okay, no, yeah, see you later, man. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> and and then you have you know I, I i do adore going to gdc because i've uh been very fortunate to make friends and like just chill the hell out in the press room for a minute and like you know hug 30 people uh it feels like a little bit of, it does feel like a homecoming not a prom but a homecoming in a sense and uh the the best clicks that form are the ones that are kind of like hey i love you crack some jokes let's sit down and like kind of encourage each other to get our work done and then we'll like you know make some very solid plans to go and just goof off for the rest of the night um we i i was very fortunate uh the we had like six ex game informer interns to show up i i i interned at game informer back in like late 2015 uh and so six of us got together and I was so paranoid about like, is it going to be awkward? Cause I, I don't think like all but two of us had never met in like real life before. Uh, and you, you, you just naturally worry about like, we're going out to dinner. Is this going to be like the longest two hours of my life? <laughs> uh, yeah. but thankfully, no, we, we had a blast at dinner and then we went to this dive bar and they had their jukebox connected to touch tunes. So right after they were done playing Leonard Skinner, I was playing like Tesseract and Meshuggah and between the buried and me and just like all this metal and shit. And, uh, that's, that's a highlight of any event is being able to connect and then like, you know, bullshit with other writers about like, you know, Hey, how did you do that cool thing, man? And be like, Oh yeah, no, went this way. Or like, Hey, do you remember how it sucked uh, working in that office doing X and uh, X, Y, or Z activity? Uh, not X, the drug. Uh, <laughs> uh, and, and those are pivotal moments of any conference. If you, you know, can develop, can develop those friendships. 
Well, so many of friendships in games media are with people who've only really communicated. I, I thought you were about to Twitter. say start with X. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, like, no, no, no. But like, so many of them are just like you've only communicated with these people on social media, or you've seen yeah. their work online. Like, oh, great job, and someone or you're just it, so or you, busy you like that it. like you you know you want to bond further, but like you know I'm friends with a lot of people in games who uh, are older than me and have children, and yeah. it's this weird thing where like I have to be comfortable like knowing hey they're an adult with a life to lead and they're a little busy uh i i can't monopolize their time and i don't want to it's it's things like we've talked thousands of times and podcasts you know podcasted multiple times so i've never actually met you in person or like Mm -hmm. nick capazzoli who again has been on the 1099 so much i've never met him in person there's all these people like jake baldino i'm i consider a close friend never met in person so conferences are so bizarre because you take this digital relationship you've had with someone the social media relationship where you've respected someone and considered them a friend and even heard their voice and everything like that and you finally see them in person i would assume in the press room there's definitely some weird trepidation of like how do i even introduce myself like they should recognize me in a lot of those instances end with a hug but it's also bizarre right where you're like sometimes uh sometimes i have to i i I have to be like hey i'm that guy from a while back and more often than not they're like oh yeah cool hey man uh nice to see you again uh but but it, it does feel a little intimidating where you're like oh god now i i one i hope they remember me uh two i hope they remember liking me <laughs> uh like i i hope i wasn't some nerd who is just like uh it, it was well, it's even I, weirder if it's someone who you know who like like a Tim Schafer. Like I I sure. I shook Tim Schafer's hand years ago because I saw him and like my friend was like, I'm not letting you leave until you introduce yourself. And sure. I've had that incident with Patrick Klepek and like sometimes that is really awkward. Sometimes it's great. Those moments just happen at these conferences. You, you got to treat them like people, you know, yep. um, if if they're walking to an appointment, let them go. You know, don't don't monopolize them. Uh, if they seem a little stressed, don't freak out. Uh, it's, it's very appropriate to say like, Hey, I, uh, enjoy or appreciate or am influenced by your work. Uh, but always, you know, respect them as a person. I, uh, on that day I was, uh, meant to be covering the, uh, one reason to be panel as I was like scarfing down food in that food court, uh, down the block, uh, uh, Daniel Bloodworth from, uh, former game trailers, now easy allies. Oh my God. Walks. I, Yeah tall tall lanky you know long hair um uh super nice guy uh walks up and starts eating soup at the like chair across from me like it's kind of i was kind of sitting at a communal table uh and i'm like bloodworth and he's like oh hey and like i had met him super briefly uh a gdc ago like just to introduce myself while i think he was talking to like andrea renee uh and who was also a nice person uh and he probably didn't remember me. Um, I did. I I think I did like stay like, hey, I, I met you, you know, back in the press like lunch area or whatever a year or two ago. Uh, how is Easy Allies stuff going? And then we just started talking about like all the various games we played, like while we ate, uh, telling each other like what was cool, what we saw, like some cool, interesting new mechanics and very general talk, but like very enjoyable. And I'm not like gaming that conversation to like, you know, ha ha ha, let me be your friend. But yeah you are the best person you can be if that's the kind of endearing moments you help create with a stranger you know standing in a line and being like hey you excited for the talk oh yeah cool no what do you do for a living man oh i'm a programmer oh i'm a composer you know ain't this crazy you just see that cool thing and that's where some bonds break literally before i even got to gdc uh, a composer from the chicago area stopped me in o'hare and was like hey i noticed your uh farah from overwatch t-shirt uh, i assume <laughs> you're going to gdc and i'm like you assumed right sir uh and we got to talking uh you mentioned games before what was the most interesting or you can even say best game you saw while you were there um I really, really loved. In fact, you know, I have my little uh, planner here in front of me, and we'll look it up. I bought it for two dollars. Vacation Dad Joe is back. Vacation Dad Joe. Uh, I played. I I got a appointment with Children of Morta, um, which is 
a really, really cool thing, like Hyperlight Drifter, but it's more of a story about a family of warriors that uh, protect this mountain and uh, that kind of top-down style combat with like really cool, interesting powers and combos you can upgrade and you know change around. Um, but everything influences the family relationship. So like the way two family members might work together, like one, the dad is a shield user, the daughter is kind of a fireball like very fast moving but like very lightly defended kind of person um that uh was a very endearing looking game i can i can see like the heart and soul that goes into it. i talked with the developer and kind of how his relationship with his sister and i think his parents uh influenced the game and you you see little bits of that going through i did play um uh, Mother Gunship, which is the sequel to Tower of Guns. Uh, I made a gun with like four chain guns on it and then like a flamethrower. Uh, you, you can just build whatever shit you want in that thing. Um, perhaps one of the cooler games I played was actually a tabletop game um, written or well cre- developed by, I believe, a woman who uh, previously worked on Thimbleweed Park, the point and click adventure from mm, yeah. Monkey Island creator Ron Gilbert. She has a cookbook coming out filled with these games where you cook some food or you bake something and then you play a tabletop co-op game uh, with this food. So I played a game called Patisserie Code, The Patisserie Code, where you are a French World War II spy trying to decode a secret message from your operative uh, by eating like six different pastries and figuring out like – you know, this tastes like chocolate orange, or this tastes like chocolate mint, or this tastes like blueberry, and uh, using that with a rubric that's given to you to determine, like, okay, what word is the true word here? Are we meeting on Wednesday or Sunday or whatever? And uh, thank God we had, it was me, a friend from Paste Magazine, and then four other game designers, including actually the guy uh, who made Gorogoa, uh, I found out later and was a little embarrassed to not know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and thank God we had those guys there because they helped us so much. It was a little embarrassing that I was so bad at that game. Um, but yeah, it, it is always um, – I played uh, – there's a Pathfinder um, – uh rpg in the vein of divinity original sin or uh pathfinder or uh, uh pillars of eternity oh, yeah. uh coming out uh set in that pathfinder rpg universe and i i myself have just uh completed like a year-long campaign with friends that was my first rpg legit t- tabletop campaign i ever played and so it was super interesting kind of seeing them translate that into a computer game um i got war flashbacks from the compute from the uh character menu where you upgrade you know down the tree and everything i'm just like oh god do i take vital strike or do i take uh you know dodge roll or something like that and uh yeah um a few vr things that uh i played the vacation sim the sequel to job simulator uh it's, it's about as charming as you'd expect uh but yeah it's it's a little mix of everything uh and i know e3 really isn't until june i think um, yeah, yeah. But as someone who is a freelancer, who doesn't live in California, who is traveling to different events, like you would have to travel to PAX, you'd have to travel to GDC, mm-hmm. you travel to E3. Uh, in a lot of cases, if you're on a budget, you can't really do both. You can't do E3 and GDC, especially if you're taking time off of work. From your experience, from the conferences you've gone to, for someone who wants to, again, break into this or continue to climb the ladder... If you had to choose between PAX, E3, and GDC, do you have one that stands out that you think is the most valuable? I think I think GDC, and this was I I, I started going to GDC because of another writer, uh, Charlie Hall from Polygon, who still works there as a features writer. Uh, met him at a IGDA, that's International Game Developers Association event uh, in Chicago. Here, uh, he lives like closer to the Wisconsin border. Uh, met him at an event there where they talked about games journalism stuff. And I asked that same question is like, what events do I go to? Uh, and he said, don't go to E3, maybe go to PAX, uh, but definitely go to GDC. And as soon as I went there that first year and, and the year after, uh, I definitely saw why, because it's an event where you're not talking to PR people. You're not talking to like lead producers who have to be you know tight lipped or like very direct in their messaging you're given an opportunity to share the room with uh, developers of all ages, stripes, and colors. Uh, 
who just want to talk about their craft, who just want to talk about here's the the technique, the art, the soul I'm putting into games, or uh, here's the issues I'm concerned about as a person who works in this in, in this multi bajillion dollar industry. Uh, people are so much more candid and open and passionate about games um, because it is a like learning conference uh, that I feel like I was given a lot more opportunities to be spoken bluntly to as opposed to being given the same answers that, you know, IGN will be given, that GameSpot will be given, that uh, Pace will be given, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, you will find interesting topics at GDC that maybe surprise even the people, uh, you know, covering or interested in them. Uh, you will find frank discussions of problems in the industry, usually at GDC, uh, you will find valuable indie games, uh, games that probably would never see the light of day on a E3 show floor. And you can talk to those developers because they're usually there trying to promote themselves and, you know, talk network themselves uh, and get a feel for like, you know, hey, what, why this? Why are you making this? And it's just so much more inviting especially if you're a newcomer and i still feel that way for your gdc's later i've been to i've been to one e3 uh granted it was the year they opened it up to the public so i kind of have i kind of i kind of have a skewed uh perspective on it that i acknowledge is may may not be fair but even the people who you know have been going for years say like yeah e3 is kind of always a a hell hole of like go 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 (laughs) whereas gdc there's still a lot of go 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 but you're given a lot more leeway in terms of like what do i want to explore this week you know you're not going to meet a lot of people shake a lot of hands and have long conversations at e3 no like it's not really nope. what that's everyone is rushing. you're gonna sit in line for three hours and play a, a five minute demo yeah it's fun as hell and but it's also an incredible amount of work if you're going and you have a specific goal for a specific outlet like it, the one time i went it was goddamn exhausting i love it i really do but it's a lot of work i uh, did now that you've gone to multiple gdc's have you ever had the itch to actually get into development? Did dude listening to any of these talks, talking to any of these developers, did yeah. you ever have a moment where you're like, man, that might be something I want to do? I think uh, every, I think a majority of people who work in like games media or like even like tech adjacent media, uh, I think they're lying bastards if they say that they've never <laughs> thought about like jumping into actual like game or tech development stuff. Uh, not just for like the financial reward it brings, but um, it, it does begin to show itself like that that pride you have in working on a project of having like a much more singular goal rather than like I have six stories to balance. I to be clear, I love what I do. I could do it for the rest of my life and I think die happy. Yeah. Um, I uh acknowledge all of its problems all of its benefits and i you know i'm certainly certainly not uh ignorant to many of the problems that plague the game development industry uh but going to gdc does give you a bigger better appreciation for the passion and art and hard work that goes in something like game development uh because people again are so blunt with you at gdc they open up so easily if you just ask and i have kind of fantasized in a sense about like being on the other end of that conversation saying like here's why this is important to me and here's why these issues need to continue being addressed and you know thank you for covering them uh i I feel pretty strongly in my ability to be a platform for people to have their voices heard, but I also wouldn't mind uh, being able to jump into game development side of things and lend my, you know, work to to a, a singular vision of something like, you know, be it a game, be it a, a more esoteric uh, kind of thing. Uh, but yeah, I think most people have thought about that. I think so too. And I think you're right that a lot of people say they never have. And to be honest with you, like as someone who's now done that, it wasn't 
my goal at the start because a lot of people think like oh you're trying to basically get your foot in the door with press and then eventually get into pr or get into production or get into game development but that's it's never been the case for me but everyone thinks about it like everyone at least considers like oh what i want to do this it at least comes up even if you decide and you land on no this is not exactly for me and yeah that team aspect is different right where you do are you're technically a team with you and your editor um, but there's a different type of team aspect with the development team because yep. there's the art team, there's creative, there's production, there's all these different things. Do you, uh, together. let me ask you, yep. uh, because you for years now, uh, well, for coming up on two years with, uh, uh, the, tan- the tangent games, yep. um, you work in Florida and you're moving to LA, uh, when you started this job and you started becoming, you know, more involved in the community and the developers and like, you know, you developed a, a working or even personal relationship with them, did you begin to feel like even though you were working remotely, did you begin to feel like, hey, I've got a little family here or uh, did you still kind of struggle with that? I did. And I um, I, I mean, I felt that I didn't struggle with it. It's a. Uh... It's something that I'm excited and looking forward to now that I'm actually going to be there because there's times where you feel left out, which is no one's fault. It's just how this goes where mm. stuff is happening there that, you know, development's hard. A lot of stuff's happening fast. A lot of stuff they can't just always talk about. So you learn stuff later than they do. But I remember when I did travel um, and I ended up staying with uh, John Swift, who used to be an associate producer. He now does like different aspects of development uh, at the company. And I had done an, a feature article on him and his life. And then I ended up staying with him and his wife. They were nice enough to house me. And it was weird. It was like I had never met that person in real life until then. But we immediately just clicked. Everything was great. We ended up the entire team went out for drinks and went to this crazy Oktoberfest. Then I stayed over um, with John and his wife. And they were unbelievably nice. And it felt like we knew each other and we had gone through a lot. Even though I was in Florida, they Mm -hmm. were in L.A. doing their stuff. So there is this. I know there's going to be ups and downs with it because people have different creative ideas of where things should go. And again, there's this, there is the, I'm not saying my, I'm not saying Tangent Games is full of crunch and awful workouts. I haven't been a part of that. I don't know what it's like yet. There's going to be things that are going to be difficult for me, but there is this certain, there's, there's pride for me for Here They Lie, even though I did something that really didn't contribute to the game being made. I was helping with social media. I was helping mm-hmm. with editing. I was helping with different things, but there's a pride there and what that team did. I think I think what maybe you did, and this this has to stem from uh, your journalism, your own journalism background. Uh, you didn't you didn't code the game, you didn't do the set design or anything like that, but you were able to recontextualize the game for the you know one one hopes thousands and thousands of players that did play it and say not only like here is why this game is cool, here is why this game is important. Uh, it's important because, you know, it either says something or does something, uh, unique that hasn't been done before, or like in the sense of Overwatch, granted, we're talking about a massive AAA game. Overwatch gave you, me, and two of our very good friends, uh, and literal literal family, uh, a platform to connect and bond with each other to where like you, you know, you and I are very dear friends at this point. I would, I would very uh assertively say because of a single video game yeah. because community was fostered around it you know uh because it was shared and that's that is in a sense what journalists still do is we don't we don't make these things but we help point out why they matter and why they continue to matter uh or why certain issues matter and that makes your appreciation of any game be it a triple a release or the the you know dankest indie you can think of that makes the industry better uh it makes it appreciate itself more thoroughly and more earnestly than if we just singularly focused on wow that was cool i also think that's why you see more publishers and developers hiring people who have been in media before because they come in with a different perspective and a different eye about how to communicate why that game is important or present it in a specific specific way. Not in like, oh, I'm going to tilt this a certain way. So like the game's not great, but I'm going to try to present it in a way that makes it look great. Not that, but there, there's a different eye you have when you go in. And I remember um, basically playing through the entire game before we all went to get beers at this giant Oktoberfest in uh, LA area. And then Mulca being like, 
what do you think from your perspective? And I was talking about like score wise, what I thought it could do and how people would talk about it. And what stood out for me is someone who reviewed games for years. And I think there's a value in that when you move that into development, you it's, it's a very different world, but I'm so excited to try it. Like I really am. And like, I think there's, I will never forget how just relieved and happy they all were once that thing went gold and they were all just eating and we were all like watching this again, this Oktoberfest show and just being like, man, like I want to be even more of a part of that. And I'm like you too. I could have kept doing, if I would have been had a full-time GameSpot or IGN job or whatever, I could do that for a long time and be happy. But there's also this aspect of me that's like, wouldn't it be cool to try this other thing too, to learn, to grow, to struggle through it and eventually get an even greater appreciation. To, to just feel like is. you can make a mistake without like dying, you know? Uh, totally. Yeah. You know, like and it's <laughs> I, <laughs> the, the existential fear is starting to show through both of us right now. <laughs> oh, trust me. I'm, uh, there's one thing I will say about, I, I'm terrified of all of this, but like in a good way, in a positive way, in a way that excites me to be terrified, which maybe is more of a personal issue for me that I need that to like really get, you know, my ass out of bed and get excited about this thing. But um, I mean, like, yeah, before we wrap this up, like real quick, thanks to everyone who has sent all these messages, all these emails, all these like DMs ever since I made, you know, the news public that I will be moving to California to get into game development. It's been incredible and it's like humbling i know this show is about the guests and about the topic but to have thousands of people listen to a 15 minute podcast where i explain where my life is going is is crazy for me i never really thought it would get to that point so it's cool and uh it's been a whirlwind and i know that's cliche and oh it's a roller coaster and all this shit but uh stuff like that keeps me motivated it, it keeps me going and um if i'm if i may say uh as someone who regularly plays uh online video games with you i i get to see you know you folks i get to see a very <laughs> honest side of josiah from time uh-huh. to time um that's why i should talk all my guests I'm exactly like, this no yeah no, never. abu bakar you're, you're no, we <laughs> no he's the real spirit <laughs> animal of this he, podcast he's yeah my he, favorite he really human. is uh, uh yeah, it's real man it's real i love that <laughs> um but I I feel like I've gotten to kind of have a front seat view of you on this little journey, um, starting from, you know, very early on, like you were figuring your way out through community management and uh, working that up to like, hey, guys, you know, we're about to start an Overwatch match. Hey, guys, we I, I've got this big opportunity and we're like kind of waiting on edge just as much as you are. And I see this podcast and how consistently and how earnestly and how hard you work for it. And I got to say, man, I, I am very proud of you. Uh, it has been a pleasure kind of like watching this journey happen. And it it makes me feel so good to like hear you say like, I want to lay roots now in the LA area where you're moving yeah. and then kind of with the company itself uh, because – you you have both the spirit of a man child but you have the but you have the the hard work effort of you know the most brilliant people i've i've ever met you're you're on par with those folks who will make a difference and i'm done blowing smoke up your ass you're welcome that's that's all i really look for is people no i i appreciate it 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 means a lot like i it's a lot about like not taking yourself overly seriously but also trying to outwork everyone i guess like it's been it's been cool and I still have a lot to do and I still don't feel like I've accomplished anything, but like I'm ready. Like it's weird to finally say that, like you said, to be able to go to a place and know that this is where I want to be. This is what I want to do. And every day, instead of just a paycheck, you're, it it feels like I'm investing in what I want to do. Just lying awake at night, texting Abu Bakar. Tell me, tell me all the things, baby. (laughs) We just talk about Dragon Ball Z all the time. No, like it's. I mean, speaking of lying awake, I've had nights. Again, I'm still in Jacksonville. This move isn't happening for a few weeks, but I've definitely had like, how am I going to do this? This is terrifying. Turns out, here they lie wasn't a video game. It was just the book about Josiah's life. (laughs) It feels like it. I've had multiple times where I'm just like, I don't know, is the right choice? Not that I'm actually questioning it. It's more just like you have these moments of, can I do this? Am I still like motivated? Do I still have that fire where I can do this? And yeah, all this stuff. But I- I'm ready and I know I am. And this is the right choice. And I'm it's, it's I'm ready to take that risk for it. And again, excited. And all the support has been just bonkers. It's It's been really cool. And like it, it reminded me of, I had no plans of ending the podcast, but it reminded me of how important this is where it's like, I'm going to. I will find the time. It's going to be different, but I will find the time and maybe do it from a new perspective because, again, not going to be media anymore. Uh, Joe, last thing. Mm -hmm. When can people read all this stuff or even like 
where can they find the stuff you've already written and is published from GDC and where can people find you on social media? Uh, you can find, uh, you'll, you'll easily find my articles on rollingstone.com uh, slash video games. Uh, I don't know if it's actually slash video games, but you just, you know, top of Rolling Stone, either. click video games uh, and you'll find me easy enough. Um, you can also check me out on Twitter at Joseph Noop. That's J-O-S-E-P-H-K-N-O-O-P. Of course, I'm a, I, I am a callous, uh, vain media, uh, connoisseur. So I regularly post anything I put there and, uh, feel free to fight me about, uh, Overwatch healer nerfs. Yeah. It's mercy's bad now. It's yeah, really no. sad. It's not bad. She's just not that great anymore. Like she's not essential, which maybe that's what I was asking for. But what's, maybe what's sad I is I'm have. wearing a mercy shirt as we speak. <laughs> she's good. I just I don't know. I think Mario might be better at this point. All right, we can do it. Okay. We have, once we have our own Overwatch offshoot podcast, that's what we'll yep. save all this bullshit yep. for. Uh, thanks for doing this again. Uh, we'll I'll probably have you back on if you let's say if you go to E3 or if something else other than a conference or mm-hmm. media news happens. Uh, as, as far as I know, because I will be living there, I should be at E3 this year. So I've said this on Twitter, I think. But if you see me and recognize me, say hi, please. It'd be cool to meet people who listen to the show. Um, I have no idea what I'll be doing there yet. Uh, so much is fluid right now. I'll figure it all out when I get there. Um, and One moving forward, time, baby. <laughs> moving forward again we there will be podcast episodes every monday a bunch in the works i'm recording three this week and hope that i can backload this so while i'm in my car I, going crazy, i always love seeing my name like alongside john vinyaki or some <laughs> crap it just like you know star 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 the <laughs> uh, danny o'dwyer one went up today that's a great podcast if no one's listened to it yet you should it's fantastic mm-hmm. uh Oh, it's life's so crazy right now. Uh, thank you, Joe, for all your brilliant insight. Mm-hmm. Um, thank and you, thank you, everyone, for listening. And hopefully tune back in for the next episode of the 1099.